the Christ who lives in me greets the Christ who lives in you. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, as your president uh, said, I represent the Association for Biblical Higher Education. Um, you know, we're the accrediting people. We're here to help you, right? <clears throat> it's true. We are. We want to help you uh, not be the inquisitors. But ABHE is a network of about 200 uh, colleges across North America uh, that encompass more than 50,000 students. They span eight time zones all the way from the Canadian Maritimes to Hawaii and from Alaska to Puerto Rico. And through an affiliation agreement, our network extends to about 800 accredited Christian schools and 40 Christian college teacher education programs through the Association of Christian Schools International. So you're part of a large family as you're part of ABHE. Uh, our schools, as I mentioned, are scattered all across North America, and they have diverse histories and ethnicity and doctrinal and denominational affiliations. But our common commitments mark us much more deeply and distinctively than our diversity does. We're committed to education that's legitimately post-secondary, academically rigorous, challenging students to develop critical thinking skills and leading them in the formation of a biblically grounded Christian worldview. While we may differ at the periphery, and in many specifics, our educational philosophy revolves around a common center. We agree to deliver education that helps students look in, taking a deep discovery dive into the Bible's meaning and message, to lock in to a life-giving and transforming relationship with God, and to lean into a life of destiny a life on mission with God who is determined to make all things new in Christ. That's ABHE. That's what you're part of here at Montana Bible College. Now, uh, I realize the limitations of your attention span, so let me hasten to ask you to briefly consider the following exhortation from the text of God's holy word from the fifth book of Moses. You would know it as Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Hopefully it's going to be here on the screen when I do this correctly. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm in the stage of life where jokes about memory loss seem more and more amusing. I guess 
because I can identify more with them. I heard a story about Sam and Vivian. They were both widowed, living in a retirement village, and they found joy in one another's companionship, and sure enough, a romance ensued. One day, Sam mustered the courage and popped the question. Vivian, will you marry me? Later that day, Vivian received a phone call from Sam. He said, Vivian, I'm terribly embarrassed to say this, but I, I think I made you an offer of marriage this morning. For the life of me, I can't remember, however, whether you accept it. Vivian says, oh, Sam, I'm so glad you called. I've been thinking all day I received a marriage proposal this morning, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember who it was that asked. <laughs> or another story about these two couples, two married couples, they're walking, you know, they, they went out and they're in, in the early evening, you know, in the sunset time. And as, as happens with couples that have been married for a long time, the men are kind of walking, they're paired off together talking, and the women are paired off walking several yards behind, you know, they're taking it slower. And, uh, and the guys are talking and uh, the, one of the guys turns to his friend, he says, uh, man, my wife and I went to this fabulous, fabulous uh, restaurant last week. It was unbelievable. It just, everything was great about it. You've got to try it. He said, uh, great, that's, that sounds really good. Uh, what's the name of it? And the guy goes, oh. all right, all right, give me a second. Give me a second. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a fragrant flower, blooms in the spring, ha, has, has thorns on the, on the stem and everything. The guy said, Rose? He said, yeah, Rose. What was the name of that <laughs> restaurant? Uh, Here, uh, here's some actual answers that uh, students gave to exam questions where they had clearly forgotten what they were taught. These are actual answers, apparently, from exam questions. What is hard water? The student answered, ice. <laughs> uh, what is a nitrate? Cheaper than a day rate. <clears throat> Where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom. Yeah, you know the answer to that. Okay, that's one you memorized. Oh. <laughs> that's where they collected them from. Okay, good. Uh, what is a fibula? A, a little lie. Uh, what is a vibration? Well, there are good vibrations and bad vibrations. Good vibrations were discovered in the 60s. <laughs> Where was Hadrian's wall built? Around Hadrian's garden. Uh, name one of the early Romans' greatest achievements. Learning to speak Latin. <laughs> I took Latin in high school. We used to say, you know, Latin is a dead language as dead as dead can be. It killed the ancient Romans, and now it's killing me. <laughs> well, have a good laugh.
But here's the kicker. I've got some bad news for you today. For you students who have sat through hundreds of class hours and devoted hundreds of hours to library research and online research, and you've written papers, and you suffered through scores of examinations, you are going to forget most of it. In fact, dare I say, you have already forgotten most of it. Perhaps some of you are thinking, I want my money back. But really, this news should not surprise you if you're aware at all of the research about teaching and learning. You know the stats. Um, we recall about 10% of what we read. We recall about 20% of what we hear. We recall about 30% of what we see. We recall about 50% of what we both see and hear. We recall about 70% of what we have discussed with others and about 80% of what we have experienced personally. I'm guessing that you folks here at Montana Bible College will retain more than the average college student because you've been taught by faculty who know these principles. And they design learning experiences according to a transformational rather than a transmissional model. I hope you recognize it's no accident that biblical higher education is designed to be intentionally and pervasively transformational and experiential for this very reason. I trust you'll discover that over the years that your recall of what you've learned through your time here remains vivid and potent. Nevertheless, I can say to you on the basis of the authority of scripture and on the basis of plenty of research, every force of nature and the spiritual realm will conspire to make you forget, especially to make you forget what you most need to remember. Back to our text. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You may remember from your Bible survey courses that these remarks uttered by Moses occur at the end of a 40-year period of wilderness wandering imposed on an entire generation of people who may have set the world record for spiritual amnesia. You know the story. Following the stupendous events leading to the Israelites' exodus, 
from the most advanced and powerful nation on earth, Egypt. Moses is called by God to the summit of Mount Sinai where he receives the laws by which God's covenant people may flourish morally and socially and may become the marvel and envy of all the nations. A beacon of true enlightenment, prosperity, liberty, justice for all. In the wake of miraculous plagues, Red Sea parting, streams in the desert, food from the ground in the skies, the Israelites get restless after waiting about a month while Moses is on the mountaintop. Concluding that their Yahweh God appears reluctant to do their bidding and indulge their impatience, they decide to go the designer God route, otherwise known as idolatry. Aaron caved into their complaining. And they make a golden calf mascot god and create their own Woodstock-like happening. Why? They forgot the meaning of what they had heard and experienced. So that generation paid a heavy price. They all died off in the wilderness. Demoralized, disenfranchised, destitute, forbidden to enter the promised land. Now a generation stands before Moses. A new generation. As they stand at the threshold of entering into all the beauty and bounty God has promised. I invite you to notice how central this theme of forgetfulness is to Moses' entire address. Three times in chapter 4 alone, verses 9, 23, and 31, and at least nine times throughout the entire discourse that makes up the book of Deuteronomy, Moses exhorts this young generation, do not forget. You could easily identify this as the theme of the book. My friends, this exhortation applies to you, doesn't it? And to me. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Note the suggestion of the text that forgetting is a passive phenomenon. Want to forget what God has taught you? What you've experienced with him? No need to do anything. You will forget. What you've learned will inexorably fade from your memory. You may not wish it or intend it, but it will happen. Take it to the bank. You have God's word on it. My pastor likes to quote John Calvin, who observed that our hearts are idle factories. An idol is anything to which our hearts look for significance, sustenance, security, or success, apart from the only one who can truly and purely deliver all those things, 
our Heavenly Father. You don't have to intend to get into idolatry. Leave your heart unguarded, and your heart will manufacture idols like the fastest assembly line in existence. So, if you want to keep the memory of what you've learned about God's nature, his commitment to you, his providential care for you, his plans for you, his vision for this world, you are going to have to be proactive rather than passive. Look at the text. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Did you notice that the text cites two ways you can be proactive rather than passive so that you will not allow what you've learned of the living God to fade from your memory? Moses exhorts his hearers to, in the words of the text, watch yourselves and teach the next generation. Up here on the screen, I've put the words rehearse and retell. What's the secret to being proactive relative to this tendency to forget? The text tells us, rehearse and retell. The word watch here is more accurately rendered, keep a watch, set a guard over your soul. To rehearse what the Lord has done for you is one of the most fruitful spiritual disciplines you can exercise. May I encourage you to find a means of doing that? Start now, make it a lifelong habit. Warren Hoffman uh, served as a lay leader in my church youth group during my middle school years. I vividly remember how he told us over and over again that he and his wife had kept a ledger book in which they recorded prayers and answers to prayers over more than 30 years of marriage at that time. Warren Hoffman had found a way to be proactive rather than passive in order to remember the works and ways of God. When I assumed the leadership of ABHE now 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I decided to do something similar. So an official addendum to our ABHE planning document is what we call the God Chronicles. At our annual staff retreat every year, we, it's coming up first week in May. We're gonna do this again now for the 11th time, I guess. We spend time every year renewing and updating the record of more than now 50, 60, 70 major instances in which the evidence of God's commitment to and engagement with our team's lives and work together has been unmistakable. These are things where the fingerprints of God are all over it, and we all know it. But you know what? We're going to forget it if we don't write it down and rehearse it every year. So we're going to take time. 
uh, several hours during our staff retreat to go back over that list and thank the Lord in prayer and to go back over the last year and add to the list. Just one way of being proactive rather than passive. Look at the text. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Rehearse them. And then watch the second thing. You notice the text cites two ways. Watch yourselves and rehearse. Teach the next generation. Oh, I forgot to tell you. You remember that list of statistics about learning? You know, we remember 10% of what we read and on down the list. I forgot, to, I forgot this one. We remember 95% of what we tell other people. They must have read Deuteronomy. 95%. Surprise, surprise. The Bible seems to offer some insight about learning. If you want to remember something vividly and permanently, teach it to the next generation. I don't know what occupations different ones of you will take up as you move out from Montana Bible College. The truth is, research shows that Americans average 10 to 14 jobs between the ages of, of 18 and 34 and three to five career changes by the age of 38. Some of you will be above average and some of you will be below average on that scale. But you don't know where you're gonna be in 10 years. Regardless of your occupation, however, I think there is biblical warrant to insist that a central aspect of your vocation, of your life calling, must be an intentional, lifelong pattern of entrusting what God has taught you to another generation. For the majority of those of you who start families, there's no more important aspect of parenting than telling your children about your experiences with the ways of God. God's work needs to become part of your family story. And that story needs to be retold. When our kids were younger, we vacationed several times with my sister and brother-in-law and their three children. I ran into my friend Scott Morningstar this morning. Uh, he was actually in school at Columbia when I was there in school as a graduate student. And then uh, several years later, uh, or during that time, I also became a member of the staff. Uh, he knew me before I was sanctified, so don't talk to him about it too much. But. <laughs> Anyway, he knows my sister Lainey and her husband Kevin. He was classmates with them. And it, we used to vacation with them. We have two kids now, uh, 37 and 35, and they have three kids, and um, all grown and married. But when we vacation together in the North Carolina mountains, which I understand by your standards are hardly mountains at all, but bear with me here, okay? Uh, work with me on this story. We used to go and have vacations together, and one of the things that we did consistently on these vacations is we had family devotions. So together, 
we looked into the word of God and we told our kids our God story as part of our family vacation. It was something that we did with intentionality. Another thing that we did is uh, Kevin's pretty clever about composing music and various things like that. So we always composed a song to commemorate our family vacation. Pretty silly songs. Um, I won't recite them to you. One of them is about flatulence. Uh, <clears throat> look it up. Uh, the other one is about uh, crustaceans. Uh, it's, uh, what is it? You can fish with a shrimp or get, uh, oh man, you can fish with a shrimp or get cooked like a lobster or catch a few crabs for some stew. But for fun in the sun that makes a family vacation, any crustacean will do. Anyway, so uh, it's a song. It's a song. But it, part of our family lore is to tie our family memories to memories of the ways of God. All I'm saying to you is you're going to have to figure out something for yourself. You're going to have to find a way to remember the ways of God in your life. Every life is a story and God is the author of that story. Do you have a way of commemorating God's authorship of your life and the life of your family members? On the basis of this text this morning, I'm telling you, this is a critical, a critical commitment that you need to make if you're going to stay the course. The arc of life is long and challenging, and there's going to be many many, many temptations to fall by the wayside. If you're passive, you're not going to make it. You've got to be proactive. Teaching the next generation begins in your home with your children. If you want to avoid spiritual amnesia that leads to idolatry in all its subtleties and to moral malaise, you have to revisit your personal God story and retell it at every opportunity. Do it in your home. Do it in your church. Do it in your workplace. Do it in your community. You don't need to preach. Just share your story. It will do your soul as much good as anyone who hears. My dear friends, forgetting is inevitable. You've already forgotten many of the things you heard even this semester. Not to worry, whether you've understood it or not, your education was never intended as a means by which you could expand your information warehousing capacity. It's been designed to help you learn how to learn and to help you grow through transformational learning experiences. But today, I want to ask you, have you been rehearsing your God story? It's not too late to get that started. Have you been retelling your God story. I urge you to make that one of the central activities of your life. In fact, would it not be right for you to give some thought to that today? How are you going to commit yourself to rehearsing and retelling the story of God's work in your life? 
set aside some time today, this week, to establish or renew the ways that you're going to commit yourself to the pattern of grateful remembrance by establishing a pattern of rehearsing God's working in your life and finding ways of retelling the stories of God's faithfulness to others. They say gratitude is the more, most short-lived of all of our emotions. You're going to have to cultivate thankful remembering. But here's the reward of grace. To the extent you are proactive rather than passive with respect to this inexorable pull to forget, you'll be free to worship the one true God and to enjoy the blessings of life in him all the days of your life. Hear the word of the Lord. In fact, why don't we say it together? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Let's pray. Father, you know I'm chief of sinners. It's hard for me to stand up here and talk like this this morning because I'm so spiritually an amnesiac. Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters even as you've helped me over the trajectory to my life to find ways to rehearse the story of your great grace in my life and to retell it to others, including my children and now my grandchildren. Oh God, you're so good. You're so great. Forgive me, forgive us for our forgetfulness and help us to commit ourselves to rituals of rehearsing and remembering your grace. Thank you that in this, you grant us the powerful work and the grace of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this for my brothers and sisters in this room today. We love you, Lord, and we want to enjoy you forever. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.